Hi, I'm David Finnegan. I'm a writer, theatre artist and game designer who works with research scientists. This is a monthly audio series about how art and storytelling meets the world of complex systems, earth science and planetary transformation. Every shock that brings us close to death has three moments in common. Bushfire is different to a flood. A riot is not like a plague. But throughout all of time and history, anyone going through one of these crises will experience the same three moments. One, the breakdown of hierarchy. Two, the moment of calm. And three, the respite. The first time I experienced these moments was when I was 16 years old, during the first real shock of my life. Every crisis I've lived through since then takes me back to that day. April 1999 in Boulder, Colorado. I was smoking weed in the car park of Fairview High School when I first overheard two other stoner kids talking about it. You hear there's something happening over at Columbine High this afternoon? Oh, on South Pierce Street? What do you mean? I don't know, the police are over there. Maybe there's a fire? Apparently they're evacuating all the students. Those lucky motherfuckers. That's what we should do. Pull the fire alarm and get the rest of the afternoon off. So I was too stoned to understand what they were talking about. I just knew that Columbine was a neighbouring town a few miles to the northeast. Later that afternoon and into the evening, on the TV, radio, the internet, the story came out in confused, unclear bursts. There'd been a bombing. No, there'd been an intruder who shot students. No, it was students themselves who'd been shooting. Two of the goth kids in the trench coat mafia had murdered their classmates. It's three students dead. No, it's five. No, it's nine. No, it's more. It's more. It's friends and family members of students that I knew. The 24 hours that followed the shooting laid down the template for every shock I've experienced since. One the breakdown of hierarchy. When I arrived at school the morning after the shooting, mood was tense. In the corridors, the jocks talked about beating up the goths in revenge if they dared show up to school. I wasn't a goth, but I was friends with some of them. Um, they'd always been nice to the weird Australian transfer kid, so I kept my head down and tried to stay out of sight. The goths, wisely enough, stayed home. In class, the teachers talked to us about the shooting trying to place the horrific events in context and reassure us. But as the day went on, it became clear that they had no idea what to say. My world-weary history teacher, Mr. Kincaid, was used to convincing his classes of counterintuitive things. The week before, he'd gently broken it to us that the USA had in fact lost the Vietnam War, to the general disbelief of half my classmates. But he struggled to convince us that we had nothing to worry about in the event of a follow-up shooting. See everyone, if, if someone tried to come through the door to this classroom, we'd just lock it here. And then they'd have to shoot through the window, which means they couldn't hit these students here. It'd just be you kids at the back of the room in the line of fire. So you'd all hide under your desks, which would shield you, uh, except these two rows here, you'd be exposed. Um, but then of course, if they shot out the window, they could unlock the door and enter and then, Really, at that point, I don't know what I'd do. I don't know what I'd do. And he continued on in this dazed monotone, and we glanced at each other and then back to him and his red-rimmed eyes. We realized he hadn't slept all night. 
drama class was no better. Miss Horton was a cheerful eccentric with frizzy hair and amazing fake tan who told her theatre students gossipy stories about 1930s Broadway stars as if they'd happened yesterday. But when we arrived in the drama classroom today, she launched into a furious tirade. I don't want to blame anyone, but we know for a fact whose fault it is. This film, The Matrix. Did you realise it's got a scene in it where two people wearing trench coats walk into an office building and start shooting people with machine guns? How else could those kids have gotten the idea? They should arrest Keanu Reeves today. He is responsible for this. And as Miss Horton railed on, her voice cracked and her eyes blinked with tears. And I realised suddenly that behind the anger, she was scared, confused, unsure, terrified. It became clear that the teachers had no explanation, no assurances, no understanding. They were as lost as the rest of us. And gradually, the attempts at lecturing us stuttered to a halt. They stopped telling us how it was, and instead they asked us how we were. And they confessed to how helpless and overwhelmed they felt. The hierarchy dissolved, and suddenly we weren't teachers and students anymore. We were just a group of people trying to process something awful together. In every crisis I've experienced since, the same thing has happened. At first, as the fires spread or the floods start to rise, the pundits and the blowhards talk louder and louder to convince us that they understand what's happening. And then as the scale of the shock becomes clear, it becomes obvious that they don't. And gradually, with no discussion needed, people stop listening. The hierarchies come down. The pundits are ignored, forgotten about. By the time the fire front is visible, by the time the rising waters knock out the power grid, there are no leaders. We're just people, helping each other out, human to human. Two, the moment of calm. The second moment that comes with every shock is the moment of calm. In the midst of the chaos and noise, the threat suddenly escalates and there comes a sudden stillness, quietness, and with it, clarity. The day after the shooting, the moment of calm came during fifth period French. We were sitting at our desks, trying and failing to translate a chapter of Candide, when an announcement came over the school loudspeaker. Teachers, please check your stations. Miss Panettiere told us all to stay in our seats, and without saying a word, she got up, walked out of the classroom, and began walking up and down the corridor outside. We weren't sure what was happening until Damon, the kid to my left, whispered, Shit, someone's planted a bomb. No one spoke. We watched Miss Panettiere through the open classroom door. On the opposite side of the corridor, someone had left a discarded jacket. We all saw it at the same moment. The same thought entered all of our heads. That's it. There it is. Miss Panettiere approached the jacket very slowly. She knelt down. And while we held our breath, she carefully lifted the jacket up. Just a jacket. But as she stood up, there was another announcement on the loudspeaker. Teachers, please lead your students out of the school in a quiet, orderly manner. So someone had found something. Whatever this was, it was real, it was happening, and we might not make it out of school. I thought, okay then. 
we're going to die. But I didn't feel frightened or panicked. Instead, it was a sense of stillness, sudden clarity. Damon gave me a grin, and we got up and patiently filed out of the classroom. Every crisis I've lived through since that day, at some point, I've felt that same sudden calm. When the fire jumped the road in front of my car, or when the taxi started filling up with water in the flooding streets, I felt that same stillness and quiet. That sudden, clear realization that death is very close. That death has always been right there, right here, close enough to touch. Not a scary feeling, but maybe a slightly melancholy one. And then, as we made our way out of the fire exit behind the French classrooms, the moment passed, and the chaos and the panic rose up in me again. Three, the respite. The last moment that every crisis has in common is the moment after the immediate danger has passed. It's the sensation of the aftermath, of respite, of escape. After we evacuated the high school, we stood on Fairview High's front lawn. Thousand students, still in shock, waiting uncertainly for the all clear to go back inside. After a few minutes, Damon said, Nah, fuck this, that's enough, I'm going home. And he picked up his bag and walked away. One by one, without saying anything, other students followed him. First a couple, then a few more, and then hundreds of students crossing the road or walking away over the sports field. The teachers watched us go and said nothing. At last, I picked up my bag and did the same. I remember vividly the feeling of walking home that afternoon. It's a sensation that I've felt in the aftermath of every other shock I've lived through since. When the flames die down and you look around and there are no new embers flying. Or when the floodwaters in the streets drop to waist height and then to knee height when you know the worst is past and you're somehow still alive. The bomb threat at Fairview High School that day was a hoax. It turns out there was no danger of death. But the feeling of relief I felt on the way home, that was absolutely real. And what's the name for that feeling? Respite or escape or reprieve? Maybe it's just the sensation of adrenaline passing out of the system but it's peaceful, like nothing else I've ever known. Now, someday there'll be a crisis where that feeling doesn't come, where there is no aftermath, no escape, no relief. Someday the fires won't subside, the waters won't recede, the bomb threat will be real. Until that day, whenever I feel that sensation of danger passing, of crisis temporarily averted, I flash back to that afternoon, how I felt on that walk home. The sunlight, the cold wind off the Rockies, the cliffs of the flat irons rising over the city, the clear Colorado sky. Mm -hmm.